Men who dream. That's when I got to yell, so I want to apologize to Aaron Stevens over there. Uh, overheard me yell. I got to belt that one. Uh, that's a belter. Uh, but great. I love that song. That one um, and Great Among the Nations were two songs as a kid that just always got me chills. We used to go, uh, when I was a, uh, a young, young kid in the L.A. Church of Christ when I was, uh, when I was little as a kid, and uh, we went to the Ice Dogs Arena. That was our, our uh, like, middle-tier hockey L.A. team. Ice Dogs Arena for, for a big L.A. conference. We used to sing these songs, and man, it was, it was awesome. I still remember. That's, that's special. I don't know why or how, but when I was 10, I went to a lesson at Ice Dogs Arena. It was a jubilee. It was a big L.A. conference, and I remember the sermon title, and the points. Isn't that amazing? I was 10. Where were my points last week? You know what I mean? Who knows? Um, the, I, the podcast. The podcast knows. So listen to, listen to our podcast. Um, but uh, welcome, everybody. It's the Sunday after Easter. You came back. So I want to congratulate everybody for coming back. And for those who didn't, get on them. Uh, call them out uh, to come on back to service. You know, it's not just once a year or twice a year, but... Welcome, everyone, uh, to service. Uh, I do want to have a, a special favor today uh, and, and every Sunday. It really, uh, feel free to speak up in service. Feel free to give me an amen or a come on, Drew. Or, uh, uh, you know, even if, even if you feel uh, like you don't, if you don't really feel it, just still go for it. Just say it. Uh, go for it. Let's me know. Let's me know you guys are, you guys are out there. Um, uh, be, there. Whoa, already. It's Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I remember uh, there was one brother who used to, whenever he liked a point, he'd always say, camp on that. Um, but I think the preacher would actually do it. He'd be like, oh, yeah, I'll talk more about that. And he would, like, deviate. So I don't know if I can do that, maybe. If you say, you know, camp on that. Maybe I would just camp on it, you know, I don't know. But uh, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 today. We're almost done with Ephesians. Um, you know, I was at, we were at Harrisonburg uh, midweek last week. And uh, we were at uh, campus uh, LTP leadership training on, on Friday. And both times we asked the campus, we said, what's the theme for the year? And both times they said, Ephesians. And we were like, uh, close. That's the book we're reading. Uh, that's the book. But the theme for the year is transformation by the spirit. Theme for the year, transformation by the spirit. But we're also reading Ephesians. So they're ha- they get half credit. Um, but we're almost done with Ephesians, which is awesome. And we're going to do something special this summer. Uh, for the church, you know, we're studying out the Holy Spirit and the, uh, the spirit from 2 Timothy 1.7 says we don't, we don't have a spirit of timidity. And actually quite often what gets in the way of us listening to the spirit is timidity, is fear. Uh, and we find that uh, we're driven by fear instead of the spirit. So one of the things that passage says is we don't have a spirit of timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. And one of the areas of growth, an opportunity for us to grow as a church is that area of love. And so this summer, we're going to have a special, we're just going to camp, we're going to have the summer of love. We're going to have the summer of love. We're going to look at how the Holy Spirit can actually be a spirit of love, uh, what that looks like, a spirit of friendship. Uh, so we're really, I'm really excited about digging, digging deeper into friendship and love, uh, which, will be, which will be awesome. And then after that, self-discipline. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. And power. We'll get there. Yeah, Ben. That's what Ben, Ben's like, I want the power. Where's the summer of power? Uh, Next year, maybe. We'll see. But uh, uh, we're in Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, uh, verse 5. Please hop over there in your Bibles. Ephesians 6, uh, verse 5. And uh, the title of my lesson is Wired for Work. 
For those of us who were here uh, the week before Christmas, uh, Ed Anton preached on this same text, and that lesson is on the podcast. It's very, very good. Uh, please, please, please go back and listen to that later. Um, I'm going to reiterate some of those points, but it's also we're going to take a little bit of a detour as well and talk about some new aspects of what it means to really work. And I don't, really, I don't mean like faith versus works. I mean like your everyday job, like work, going to work, um, which is a really, really cool uh, Topic. It's been cool for me to look at recently. Very inspiring. When I was uh, at the school across the way, uh, I went to uh, Virginia Tech. School across the way. Was that Dukes or Boo? I never remember. Okay. Um, don't camp on that. But I, was, uh, I was at Virginia Tech, and uh, I remember we had this Bible study. We always had Bible. It was really cool. We had, we had a special time at Tech where the student union is called Squires, and I used to, I used to kind of um, boast. You know, I don't know if it was wrong or right. You can let me know later. But I used to kind of boast, man, if you, and anybody who would visit tech, I'd say, hey, let's walk through the student union and count how many Bible studies we see disciples in right now. And so we'd always walk through and be like, one, two, you know, three. Always have four or five. It was so cool. We always have our, our Bible studies. I think we all just had them all in the same place, so it kind of maximized it. But we always had Bible studies there in Squires. And one time we had a Bible study with a guy and a friend of mine. Um, he was hopping in the Bible study, and he was um, a newer Christian. He had just been baptized, and... He's actually from Louisa originally, uh, a good friend of mine. And so we're studying discipleship with this guy. And, you know, I, I kept, we were looking at Luke 9, and we were looking at what does it mean to really be committed. And so I, I said, I finished kind of, you know, talking about Luke 9, and I said, hey, man, do you have anything you want to share about commitment or what it meant to you, you know, as you, you know, became a disciple, what, what discipleship was like for you? And he goes, man, you got to be committed. You got to be, you got to lay down your life. Like right now, for example, I have a really important class that I'm supposed to be in, but I'm here. And I was like, amen. Um, let's get time after this, you know, let's have a follow-up discipling time. You know, you're discipling two at once there, you know, it's like, okay, help the guy, help the other guy. But uh, that's, that's sometimes how we can feel about work or school or even menial activities is like, this is actually a distraction from what's important. That school, oh man, you know what's better is, you know what, uh, if I could just be a disciple. That, school's not important, it's a waste of time. I just need to get through school. I just need to get through my job so then I can start, you know, really doing something for God. I just need to wait till the kids get out of the house. I just need to wait till I have a moment away from, from being a parent. Then I can really be a disciple. Then I can really do what a disciple's supposed to do. And we can actually really believe that... Uh, Work is a distraction from the divine, uh, that it can be uh, a distraction of the divine. In verse 5 of Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, slaves. Now, slaves is not like we think of it. This is not first century slavery. The, the word is doulos. It's bond servant. About a third of the Roman Empire uh, was a slave at one point or a bond servant. You could go in and out of slavery. And almost always it was because of debt. So if I owed a lot of money and I could not pay it back and I died, my, my kids would become slaves until they paid off the debt and then they would be free. It was, it was debt-based. It was not race-based. You had all types of you know, folks being slaves, male, female, kids, any kind of ethnicity. Uh, so he's talking to people who are bond servants. They're, they're servants because they probably owe money to somebody. So they're working it out. Actually, a lot of famous people from the first century, uh, Cicero, um, Plato, were, were bond servants at one point. Um, so he's talking to people who, in any kind of situation, you have, a ma- you have an earthly master. Slaves, verse 5. Obey your earthly masters 
with respect and fear. Other versions say fear and trembling. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. And so Paul, a while ago in verse 21 of chapter 5, he said, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That, that, laid, uh, that laid the foundation, that's kind of the golden thread working through the next several uh, uh, paragraphs uh, of, okay, submit to each other. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, sacrifice yourself for your wives. Parents, don't exasperate your kids. Kids, obey your parents. So he's kind of hitting everybody in the church. Okay, you know, let me, what does it mean to actually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Well, let me give you some specifics. And so he's actually talking to people who would have been in bondage there in Ephesus. Uh, who, would have, who would have been slaves for some reason. And some people in the church who probably had, who had slaves, people who owed them a lot of money who were bond servants to them. And so it's kind of like an employee-employer attitude here. But I think what's powerful about this, for sure, and some people can be like, well, why didn't, you know, Jesus, or why didn't God say just destroy slavery because it's, it's bad, you know? And well, what, what, what Paul and what God were trying to do, what's great about Christianity and faith is that we can live like Christ in any situation, no matter what. And sure, when, when the time comes in America, the people who lead the revolution, the, the true abolitionists that begin the, 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 uh, the process of, of slavery for the, the horror that was the African slave trade are true Christians. Not the, you know, the phony uh, Christians who would twist scripture just to keep slavery. Twist, twist scriptures like this just to keep slavery because they wanted what they wanted. They wanted uh, their pockets to be padded. Right? But the true abolitionists actually came about and brought about the end of slavery, which is amazing. Um, so, songs like Amazing Grace were written by former slavers and then became abolitionists. Very cool, very cool stuff. But for us today, about our menial jobs, we can kind of feel like my, my buddy did there at Tech. Like, you know what? I have to actually, this is actually a waste of time. I need to move on to what's more important. I just need to get through the day. Uh, whatever that is, that might be your, your everyday job. That might be actually as a, as a homemaker or as a parent. Uh, it could even be as like a chore around the house. Like your, your task is to mow the lawn. Like, man, this is the worst. I got to get through this. And, you know, it could be whatever you do. Colossians, the parallel passage in Colossians 3. We know that one, right? We often use it with our kids to inspire them to do some great work of obedience. You know, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord and not for men. Now, this passage says, do it, do it as if you're working for Christ. The Colossians passage says, no, 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 you are working for Christ. Sure, obey your earthly master, but that's actually for Christ. Do it for God. Do it for him. That, that's, and so you see that the reason we submit for the wives in the room, we submit to our husbands because of Christ. Husbands, we sacrifice ourselves for our wives because of Christ. Uh, parents, don't exasperate your children because of, because of Jesus. Parent them how Jesus would. Right? And kids, obey your parents in the Lord. And so you see that for every role in the church, that's governed by your relationship with God. When your relationship with God suffers, 
That's when the marriage starts to struggle. That's when the parenting starts to have issues. That's when all these things start to uh, collapse um, on us is when the relationship with God is the foundation for all of this, which is great that it's so simple. You know, we get, what's the real reason and, you know, that, that I am the way I am? And sure, we can get into that, but the, the, the best thing to do, it's simple. If you're ever struggling or you're wandering from the faith, there's two things. Read and pray. Read and pray. Read and pray. Read and pray because that's how we actually wander from what God's plan is. And if we read and we stare at Christ, it becomes a little easier uh, than, than trying to diagnose. And the world can confuse us with any number of solutions that we'll talk about here in a second. My first point is the error of the idol. It's actually an error for us to, uh, for the idol, you know, for us to believe, well, this, this is a waste of time. It's a distraction from the divine, like I shared. You know, is, is work a distraction from the divine? And I want to spend a little time on this point, but I want to spend a, more time on the second point. I think most of us are there. But we can definitely be here. I remember in, in, in school for a lot of time, I didn't really work hard in school because I thought, this isn't really important. Who, you, know, you know what's important is sharing your faith and being in Bible studies. That's important. But I think that's a sign of immaturity a lot of times. Yeah. We sacrifice one for the other. We begin to, we don't, we don't see that we can actually, that, that work is actually a good thing. That work is not cursed, as we'll, we'll dive into here. You know, when we look at God, when we first see God in the Bible, what's he doing? He's working. The first thing we see God do is he's working. Genesis 1.28 says, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. That word subdue is bring it under your uh, protection. Cultivate the earth. Cultivate. The first time we see God in this section, if you want to go back and read it, there's a lot of repeats of the same verbs. Make. Uh, take care of, make, cultivate, uh, build, plant. This is God. God is actually a worker. Work was happening in the Garden of Eden before the fall. So before sin entered the world, God was working. So people think, you know, a lot of times when you watch those cartoons and, the, you know, the cat dies and, he go, and he, the translucent cat goes to heaven and he has the harp on a cloud, you're thinking, oh, that must, that must be what heaven is. Right? Must be just the cat. Yes, we just go to heaven and float on a cloud with a harp. And we don't do anything. And a lot of times we think that's what heaven is on earth. Is, you know what? Heaven is just vacation. If I could just be in that hammock, you know, with the, with the ice cold beverage, you know, I'd have nothing to do. Oh, that would be awesome. You know, and one of the things that's been special about us working in the Laurels nursing home, thanks to the Doriers for doing that. We get in a lot of conversations with these people who are in the nursing home. And every time the thing that comes up is, let me tell you what I used to do or let me tell you what I want to do. I was talking to this man recently. He goes... You know, I'm really trying to get back on my feet. And it's like a 90-year-old man. You know, I'm get back on my feet. I'm in the insurance business, and I have this new plan for what to do. And, the, you know, I want to get, get set up in Pantops, and I want to work from there. Pantops is a great area. You know, he was talking about his plan to, to what he can do. And most people in nursing homes, they, they, they regret. They, they, they want something to do. They love it when we come by. And they always say, thanks for coming. We just need something to do. We love having something to do. Uh, and to, to do, to work, is in the image of God. It is actually godly to work, to, to, to work, to, to not be idle, but to actually work. And we see God do it there. Uh, we see when God is uh, on the seventh day there, it says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. You know, rest is important too. You want to rest. That feeling you get when you work so hard on a project, you've done your best, you know, and you're done like, man, that feeling of, of completion. That's what we're here for. We're not here on the earth just to quit all our jobs and go live and, you know, establish our own Church of Christ culture out in, you know, Palmyra and live, live in a community. And some people take that perspective on Christianity. But, but God is, is working 
to, to benefit others. Working to benefit others is godly. A lot of what people crave in the world when you share your faith, like, I don't want to go to church because I want to really, you know, I don't want to get caught up in church or I don't want to follow God. I want to really help people. I want to march. I want to protest. I want to make a difference. Well, that's what God wants to do. God wants to make a difference. God wants to help the world. God wants to cultivate. God wants us to, to work hard together, to, to bring us together. God wants, God wants that too. And so a part of it is that we actually have the error of the idol. We have an error in our view of God. We have an error in, in our doctrine. Doctrine's important. We have an error in how we view God. Uh, and one of the first things, sadly, when people become disciples is their grades get worse. Uh, their, their, you know, their, their performance in the job place gets worse. Uh, I think there's this thing about like, oh, yeah, committed means to give up on all these things. The next question I want to ask, I want to think about this. What do we see Jesus do for 30 years before he opens his mouth about his mission? He comes as a laborer. Jesus comes as a drywaller. Drywall Jesse. Drywall Jesse. Jesus came as drywall Jesse. You know, Jesus came 30 years. He worked as a mason. Jesus walked six miles a day just to commute to his masonry job in Sephoris. Jesus, why did he do that? Why? Why did Jesus commute? He walked six miles a day to go be a mason in, in, a, in, a, in a town. Why? 30 years. You know, the first time we see Jesus, he's a, he's a worker. The first time we see God, he's working. And even when Jesus is questioned by the Pharisees, he defends them and says, listen, my father is always at work. To this very day. And I too am working. I love in John, this is John 5, verse 17. It's kind of cut off in the corner. I love in John 9, when the, the apostles, there's a man born blind, and the apostles want to have this religious discussion, and people who are religious want to have religious discussions, right? And the man born blind, and the, and the apostles say, let's, let's come together and really talk about this. Why was this man born blind? Did, his, did he sin? Did his parents sin? Let's talk about the doctrine of original sin. Let's really dig into this. Jesus goes, you know, the sun is out while it's light. I got to work. I'm not going to talk about that. Let's actually go help the guy instead of talk about it. So they go and they, and they heal. They heal the guy. I love that. That's so tempting for us to be like, you know what? I'm not going to share my faith. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do is I'm going to really study out the book of Leviticus. And amen for studying out the book of Leviticus. But I think sometimes we've got to realize we've got to work. Jesus is like, I got, I got to work. I'm here to work as a mason, and I'm also here to work as a disciple. That those things are not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. Uh, but, but a lot of times we have that error. We have an error of being idle. And we, we, get, we get sucked into it. You hear it, hear it all the time. Um, but there's a lot of people in the church who actually do this quite well. I, I want to lift up a few. You know, I think Sharon Fix does this exceptionally well. Uh, Sharon, you know, I don't, I don't know how often Sharon, like, actually goes out with the sole purpose of evangelizing, but I know that she does it as she goes. She's got this great daycare she runs. And man, she's got, when parents be coming in and out, they're going to hear something about, about God. They're going to hear something. You know, and, and there's been fruit from that. And that, that it's actually who she is. It's in her character to do that, to, to share as a, as a, and do a great job being in charge of a daycare. And to do so well that, of course, when they reach out, when they're reached out to, they go, yeah, Sharon's a, she's great at what she does. She's giving. She does. Of course I want to show up. Yeah, she, you know, uh, of course I want to do that. There's people that do a, a great job. You know, I think of Dean Bassett. Dean Bassett does a great job. Tim Bassett does a great job of that, you know. I mentioned Drywall Jesse. He does a great job of that. Um, Jesse McLaughlin, you know, reaching out as you go. I know a lot of us do the same. Uh, a lot of us reach out as we go. It's our friends. We're just bringing our friends as we go. And this summer of friendship that we're in, the summer of love, is cool. 
Because as a part of it, that's what Jesus did. He brought people along as he lived his life with his already pre-existing convictions. He brought them along to see the truth. You know, he didn't have to compartmentalize. Okay, I've got to share my faith later, but now is me time. Tomorrow is my husband's time. You know, it's not, no, it's, it's just who we are. It's who we are. And I think it really inspires me to think about, man, that we're, we're here to work. And what's cool is when God comes back, we're not going to stop working. Revelation actually says we're, we're going we're gonna to work together. The work doesn't end. Uh, which is which is really exciting. A lot of us are like, oh, are you kidding? I thought I was going to be in the harp with you know on the cloud with the harp and the cat and be lying around all day. And that might be fun for 24 hours or maybe even a week. But after a while, I'm like, oh, we got to get back to work, man. We got things to do. We're here to help. We're here to cultivate. We're here to subdue. We're here to to work. There was work in the garden before the curse. Work is not a curse, and we can't have we can't error in that way by being idle, by being lazy, and think you know I'm just not going to to do your best. I love John Wesley said. I want to work as hard as I can, make as much money as I can, so I can give away as much money as I can. He had a heart of, I'm going to work hard for God, but it's not for me. It's not for me, it's actually for God. And I think that's where we begin on the other side. Some of us aren't on that side. Some of us may be like, oh, you know what I am, I do have that perspective. I need to, I need to reevaluate. Some of us are on the other side of the spectrum. We have idle, then we have idle, right? Uh, where work, work can kind of be on one of those sides where we're on the far left, uh, it can actually be, well, you know what? I don't, school's the worst. I'm just, I got I to get through it. I hate my job. I just try to, you know, I, I just, I'm grumpy all day. I just try to get through it. Then I can actually go back to being a disciple. Then I can go read and pray. Then I can go do what I want. But on the other side is where work becomes our idol. Work can actually become our idol. And I think this is becoming more and more and more and more acceptable in the culture of America is where work is your idol. It's actually seen as quite good for work to be your idol. Like we respect that, right? Of I'm gonna sacrifice this, 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 and this for my career. We go, good on you. That's good. I'm proud of you. Awesome. Yeah, and, and even, I think we've even rejected a bit. It used to be the romantic idol, I think was kind of a big one. Now I feel like the romantic idol's kind of being pushed aside. The career idol's huge. Yeah. You see it a lot on TV, like I need to break up with them because of my career. My career's first. My career's first. I have a job here. Like, it just, it, 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 it uh, pervades our entire life. There's a great quote about this. Um, and the quote is, is, the family is no longer what Christopher Lash once called haven in a heartless world, a counterbalance to the dog-eat-dog areas of life. Instead, the family has become the nursery where the craving for success is first cultivated. And so families, instead of being a haven from that, have become where it's first cultivated. The craving for success of our kids. And this is huge in America, to be first and to have an idol of success. And I think the, the struggle with this and the next point is instead of the error of the idol, it's the terror of the idol. The terror of the idol is this is truly scary. Uh, we're interested in working hard. We work hard. Oh, you bet we work hard. We give it our best, but we don't do it for God we don't care about our work in order to please God. Instead, we care about what our work says about us. Yeah. We work hard because we get, we get something. We get value from the result. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, but Drew, I work so hard and I do, it, I do it for God. But the question is, is, is your happiness, is your joy tied to uh, the, the ebbs and flows of your career, of that success? If so, then, then yes, it's become your idol. Work has become your idol. 
You can tell if something's an idol by how you respond when things don't go your way. Uh, are you, things don't go your way at work. Are you, are you, you know, done for the week? Are you out? Are you despondent? Are you hopeless? You know, uh, I just want to work hard. Well, it seems like your happiness comes from your work. Your happiness isn't coming from God. In fact, God's become sort of a means to an end. And you're willing to sacrifice God to get what you want, to get what you want. And it happens all the time. We can see it with the romance, the romance idol, right? People come to church for a while, a few years, then they disappear. And you see on Facebook, oh, they got, they got a girlfriend. Well, you know, I wonder for how long, what were they thinking? If I just love God enough, he'll give me a girlfriend. If I just love, if I do what God wants me, if I obey, then God will give me what I want. Well, God is a means to an end. God's not, Jesus is not your Lord. I know at our baptisms, we say Jesus is Lord. I wonder if it's still true. I wonder if it's still true that Jesus is Lord. That parable that we, we, you know, Jesus tells two men going to war. One has 20,000, one has 10,000. Who's going to win? The guy with 20. Well, the guy with 10 realizes I better go surrender because I cannot win. That's a Jesus is Lord parable. That's a I cannot beat God if I try parable. Some of us are still trying to, still trying to get happiness our, our, our own way. And a lot of it is the way we're raised because family is where success is first cultivated. That craving for success is cultivated. I got it in me. One of my, we talk about I choose us, life traps. One of my life traps, you know, is unrelenting standards. I have it in me. I have this desire to, to do well. I always joke. Uh, I'm getting better at it, I think. But Jenny would always say something like, Drew, you did an awesome job. And I would respond with, it was okay, huh? And she'd be like, no, 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 it was awesome. I said, awesome. I'm like, oh, so it was all right? <laughs> and she's like, no, I said it was awesome. And I was like, so it sounds like it was fine. You know, like, and uh, I just like, I mitigate, I mitigate everything. Like I could have done better. And then I also realized that if I didn't do something well, I was like sad for three days. I was like down until like Wednesday. If like Jenny was like that lesson, I don't think it hit the mark, you know, that, that you were aiming for. And Jenny's incredibly gentle in this area, but I'm, I'm very sensitive. And uh, even if she would say that, I'd be like, oh, thanks for being honest, you know. And just be like, like meandering around the house for three days, like losing all hope, you know. Uh, I'm very sensitive, you know. I, I have this in myself to be successful at what I do as a full-time minister. I have that in me. We were, I was driving here this morning, and I saw another, I saw a church, but they had a, a really cool sign out front. And I was like, they have a cool sign. We don't have a cool sign. And I was like, and I got like down, and I paused the radio, and I didn't, I didn't realize till later. I was like, I, but why don't we have a sign? And maybe I'm not cut out for this. You know, and it was like, I like went down the, the rabbit hole really. Like it was like so sad. And I had to pull myself out like, okay, where's my, thanks Edwin. Um, we have a good sign. Yeah, amen. But, uh, but actually I, I felt that this morning and I had to tell myself, and it was, it was interesting. I, I knew what I was preaching on, so that helped. But I, I was thinking to myself, am I my own savior? Or is God my savior? And sometimes when we are too interested in what our work says about us, we are trying to be our own savior. And for people who have been craving success for a long time, we begin to train ourselves to be our own savior. Look how well I did. I really pulled through there. I really, I really did it. I really accomplished quite a bit by just, you know, pulling myself up by my bootstraps. And it, and it, it pro, uh, proliferates the issue. Uh, and I realize, man, I'm trying to be my own savior. I think that if I somehow do an amazing job, or at least people think I do an amazing job at being a leader of a church, then, then, then I'll have, you know, 
paid my, my way for one more week. Yeah. I'll have earned a little bit of peace of mind. But it's so antithetical to what Christ came to do. It's so opposite. We get, we get sucked into this, and it's nothing new. It's nothing new. I love the story in 2 Kings 5, if you want to jot that down, of Naaman. Naaman has leprosy, and he's told to go uh, to Elisha, who can help him. And I love Elisha. Elisha goes, go to the Jordan and wash, right? And then you'll be cured of your leprosy. Uh, now, Naaman's he's angry. He's like, I wish I had been told to do some great thing. Washing in the Jordan? I could have done that back home. I could have done that. Ah, so frustrating. One of his servants, come on, servants, come on, slaves. One of his servants speaks up and says, if, if he had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? But see, see Naaman, he wanted, he wanted to earn it. He's like, I got, I got it going on. Why wouldn't you tell me? I could go, tell me to go win this huge battle. I could win the battle. Tell me to do that. I'm smart. I, could, I, could, I can accomplish this. Tell me what to do, and I will be my own savior. I will make healing happen. I can save myself. And God says, go to that nasty Jordan River and wash. And God, God does the same thing for us. He says, listen, you know what you need to do to become a disciple? Go to the river and wash. What, what, what can I You can't do anything. You can be committed. You can lay down your life. You can choose that Jesus is Lord. But go to the river and wash. You know, God is a God of grace, and we see him as a God of performance. That if good, good things are happening to us, therefore, and I see it all the time in Charlottesville. I get so insecure. I feel like it's, I feel like it's a little more here than other places where I, I can get insecure talking to somebody I meet for the first time that they're, like, assessing my value. Uh, I, I've started to dress up a little more, you know. I'm like, maybe if I dress up a little more, they'll think, you know, they'll respect me, you know, and... And, uh, but there, there is that sense of like uh, kind of dressing, judging and condemning. And then we think that God's that way. We think that God's that way. And slowly, we begin to sacrifice Jesus in order to get what we want. That we, Jesus stops being our treasure. And I want to encourage anybody today who's not a disciple. You're not a disciple. You're not, you have not made the decision to go to go wash, to go really know what the Bible means, to go be committed. I want to encourage you to sit down this week and start being open about your life and let go of all the fear of how you're going to be assessed and judged because you know what? This is a room full of people who are messed up. It is not about anything we've done. It is not about anything, any great deed that we've done. As much as some of us would like to say, maybe it was. We can even share good news about each other like that. You know, like, man, this guy, he really saved me. Oh, I don't know. Uh, that guy's pretty messed up, you know. Uh, God's the one. God's the hero. The whole Bible, there's one theme. God is the hero. God is always the hero. He was the hero 2000 B.C. Uh, he was the hero in the Bronze Age. He was the hero in the Iron Age. He was the hero during industrialization. He was, he's he's going to be the hero now with all our technology, right? He's always going to be the hero. God is God, and he's a God of grace. And we've we got to ask ourselves, why have we started to sacrifice Jesus at the altar of what we really crave? Wow. It's so easy in campus, too, campus ministry, right? I hear it all the time. What do you do? For, well, I play football for God. God wants me to play football. Therefore, I will play football. Football is great. But a lot of times we think that just because we want to do it, therefore God wants us to do it. Um, and, and actually, we don't, we're not doing it for God. We're either doing it because of how it makes us feel or we're doing it to please somebody else. And a lot of times, I want, I want us to ask ourselves this question. That idolatry in success can actually be about other people. Uh, let's talk about parenting for a second. Parenting. A lot of times our affection, which is good, 
can become adoration. And sure, you have affection for your, for your daughter. But if, if you want your daughter to be happy at all costs, she, she, it's become your idol. Her happiness has become your idol. But we love that in America with our parents. I just want my kids to be happy. I'll do anything for my kid to be happy. You know, actually, your kid's happiness has become adoration. It's actually not good for your kid. You're teaching them uh, that God is not God. And that's what idolatry is. Romans 1.21 says uh, that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they began to worship created things rather than the creator. All of idolatry is summed up as we begin to worship created things, including our kids, rather than the creator. When our kids, when our kids happiness is our idol, then if they're not happy, we're done. We're despondent. Oh, what can I do to fix it? And how can I make you happy? But when, when God is God, when we're worshiping the creator, our kids' happiness is important to us, but it's not the be-all, end-all. Sure, it matters. Sure, it's great. But God is actually more important than our kids' happiness. God is, and, and adoration can be extremely uh, harmful to the family atmosphere. It can be very hurtful. Think about some of the campus students, you know, like, I got to get good grades so mom and dad can be happy, you know. Our parents' happiness is more important than, than what we do for God. And we can dress it up. Idolatry is so hard to see. It's so easy. It's the, it's the terror of it. It's the terror of the idols that it's difficult to see. It's difficult. You know, we can think about, oh, I, I, you know what my issues are, these obvious sins. But man, we live in a world full of idolatry. There are gods everywhere. We are made to feel like we need something all the time. I was talking to my brother recently, and he was like, hey, are you investing? And I was like, I, was like, I don't think so. Is it possible? I am, but I don't know it, you know? Uh, I don't think I am. Mean, you should really invest. It's really smart, you know? He goes in this long investment rant. And then I was like feeling insecure. Like, I should, I should be investing. And am I, make, am I making enough? And I got to, maybe we should get a, you know? And, and there's a great point somebody made that, that greed is, is, greed's something that we all hate, but none of us admit to having. And, but, but, but if you live in America, you're most likely greedy. But we start to compare. You don't even, and I think, oh man, my brother's, I got to, we, we got to start doing this. I got to get a bigger house. We got to be able to afford. The other parents, they can afford their kid to do three sports. And we got to do three sports. And you get sucked into the, to this idol yeah. of work. And the idol is, and it's hard to see because you surround yourself with people who are kind of similar to you. And so you don't really know how lucky and fortunate and blessed you are. Right. And all you see is, is like what I felt is, oh, I got to. I gotta, I'm, not, I'm not doing what I need to do. I'm not being a good uh, steward. I've got to invest in something. I've got to figure this out. And it's so easy and, and, uh, for us. And we can be sensitive and we start doing things we don't need to do. Yeah. And it's so, so, so easy. I think with, with teenagers, you know, teens, there, there's so many things you can fill your time with. So many things that you can look at your phone 400 times in a day. You know, I wonder how many times you look at God. That day, and it's easy. Oh, I know. I love God. I read for ten minutes. I love Him. God's number one. But you know, you, you got a Snapchat streak of forty-five straight days. You know, I just learned what that was. Um, I wanted to use it. Um, you got a snap streak. Is it a snap streak or Snapchat? Snap streak. Snap streak. You're on a snap. I got to move on. Just keep moving on. But uh, but it's so easy. It's so easy for these idols to creep into our lives yes. and destroy, uh, destroy having God be really number one. You know, Christ, as we, as we wind down here, 
what can help us with this? You know, Drew, you've alerted us to a problem, sure, but what can really help us? And I think God gave the perfect gift in Jesus Christ. Jesus came down not just to be a sacrifice, but to live a perfect life. Imagine that. You got it. You're in heaven. You have treasure in heaven. But you're going to go live a perfect life. Jesus didn't get married. He didn't have kids. He didn't have any of the things that we want so badly. Jesus grew up in a broken family. His dad died probably, or at least he died or he left by the age of 13, 14. Um, Jesus, you know, grows a blue-collar job, not not a lot of wealth. But Jesus lives that life. Jesus gave up treasure in heaven to make you his treasure. And just to focus on that, to think about that, that Christ gave up success from a worldly point of view to make you his success. The great redeeming act of Christ's whole entire life was his lonely, embarrassing death for you. But how grateful are you for that? How grateful is the world for that selfless act? This entire section in Ephesians 6 is governed by the idea that selfless service brings fulfillment. Actually, the, the key to having a, a, an amazing godly family is that your kid's happiness is second to pleasing God. That your wife's happiness is second to pleasing God. To obey the Lord. And the Lord's example is not only to work hard, but to do so for God. Whatever you do, do it for the Lord. And to look at Christ, to stare at Christ. Let's close out in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I love this, this, this topic of idols. You know, there's a great book that, that Timothy Keller wrote called Counterfeit Gods. And he talks a lot about these things. Um, Philippians chapter 4. And uh, it was, it's amazing. I didn't realize how much of an idol of success and, and an idol from my work that I really do have. Um, but ask yourself that this week. What, if taken away, what would affect your happiness the most? If taken away from your life, that's the question I want all of us to think about today and this week. If taken away from your life, what would affect your happiness the most? And, and is this an idol? Has it become an idol in your life? A lot of these things we don't realize how, uh, how de- dependent we are on them until they're taken away. Um, and whether it's greed or romance or success, uh, these things can be very, very, very hard to see. A lot of the Old Testament is dealing with idolatry. It's very difficult to see. But I want to encourage us and exhort us with, with this idea. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. It's a command. He's not saying if you have time, do it. You, no, it's a command. This is an imperative. Rejoice in the Lord always. When we rejoice in the fact that Christ gave up treasure in heaven to make you his treasure, that helps. That's a starting point. When you realize and you're tempted to be idle or cranky at work or I just got to get through the day. When you realize, you know what, Jesus came down to earth to work hard. And you know what, that's, we're actually made in the image of a selfless God. You know what, being selfless is what we're here to do, to be giving. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Uh, it was awesome to be able to be part. Jenny and I went to a campus meeting, uh, or a camp meeting for the summer camp 
we're going to lead our camp too this summer, which is really exciting. And one of the brothers there has been leading a teen ministry for years, and it's so cool to be able to see generational faith. Because to, to see families where you have parents who are disciples, but their kids did not become disciples, but their grandkids are coming to camp. You know, or their nephew, their kids didn't become disciples, but their nephew did, or their, 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 you know, their niece did. Uh, and a lot of times we get frustrated in God because he's not doing what we want him to do through us. God's going God's to be just fine. God's been doing it for thousands of years. He'll be, he'll, God's going to get his will done. That's what Isaiah uh, 55 tells us. It's going to get done. But here's the thing. Let's slow down, slow down, turn off the 12 tabs on your computer or the phone or all the notifications you get. Slow down, rejoice in the Lord, and trust that God is good. Trust that God is good. Let's just trust. When you trust that God is good, when you're at peace with God, you're defended. Things start fine. You know what? It didn't go my way. I'm okay, though. It didn't go great at work, but you know what? It's rough, but it's fine. It's going to be okay. God is good. I have all I need in Christ. I've been given Jesus. My identity, my, self, my sense of self comes from Christ. Amen. And let these things roll off the back. I remember when, you know, Ben's dad, Paul, got in a car accident recently on his bike. Uh, it's terrible through an intersection. And, 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 you know, nerve endings in his hands. Uh, he's still getting pain there in his hands. Uh, God spared him from a lot of significant, I mean, more significant injury. But I remember Paul, I mean, it's Paul, you know. After he gets hurt, he's like, man, God is good. It could have been a lot worse. I'm grateful to be here. I was like, oh, man, how? How? I know. How did he do it? He's like, he's, he's, he's got, you know, his face, his hands. I mean, he's, he's still not able to drive to work. It's been a month. Like, he's like, you know what? It could have been a lot worse. God is good. I'm like, he's at peace. He trusts that God is good. And when these things happen, they roll off our back. As we close out in verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Basically, I don't really get it. The peace of God, who knows how it works, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Church, let's let peace guard us. Let's not have the error of the idol and be lazy or think that work is a curse. It's not. Let's not have the terror of the idol and realize that, uh, be a, realize that we're driven by anxiety and fear of not appeasing that idol, but to rather be at peace and let that peace protect us. And who knows really how that all works, but we are hardwired for work. Let's go about it with all our hearts this week. Amen.